Welcome to Inside Track from Planet Tracker, a series of podcasts where we talk about some of the key themes the investment and finance community needs to know about for COP27 this November. I'm Peter Elwin, Director of Fixed Income and Head of the Food and Land Use Programme at Planet Tracker. And in each episode of Inside Track, my guests discuss the finance community's role working alongside policymakers to transform sectors and systems and offer some insights to help us navigate the negotiations in Egypt. In this episode, we're talking about how a progressive policy on supply chain traceability, tracking goods from source to delivery, could transform investment from plastics right across to food. Supply chain traceability makes financial sense, and it's good for the planet. We need more companies to fully trace their supply chains. Today, I'm joined by Richard Wielichowski, who heads Planet Tracker's textiles program, and Francois Mosnier, head of Planet Tracker's oceans program. Welcome to you both. So, in terms of traceability, if we can sort of maybe start with a with a really basic question, why is supply chain traceability an issue for financial institutions? Why should they care? Richard, maybe I can throw that over to you. Yeah, sure. I think most fundamentally, because it can really impact the stock price and therefore the investments that these uh, institutions are making. I mean, if I think in my textile space, as an, as an, a good example, um, back in 2020, we saw Boohoo, who was a real stock market darling, huge growth, very exciting online retailer, sort of riding the wave of digital in fashion. Um, lose 25%, or about a billion pounds of market cap on the back of a revelation from a, a journalist uh, investigation um, that they had sort of modern slavery in their supply chain. They were underpaying UK garment workers, so they were um, paying paid less than the minimum wage. I mean, that's a really substantial move in a position. Uh, as I say, this was a stock that was well-loved, very, very very highly priced, and it really didn't recover. It lost, I think, about 63% of its value over the sort of following 18 months or so, um, and it took management a huge amount of time to deal with this. So I think most fundamentally, it can really, really impact um, you know, investment returns when something really goes wrong in a supply chain. Francois, I mean, Boohoo, obviously textiles, any similar sort of concept in terms of oceans? I think we, yeah, Richard talked about re- risk management, which I think is the key one uh, for for all sectors. Actually, not not necessarily textiles or seafood or food in general. One key thing I think is the interconnection of supply chain, and that was made very evident during uh, the pandemic. For example, in the, in the UK, consumers learned of the reliance of ice cream deliveries on natural gas prices. And so natural gas prices rose, first fertilizer facilities shut down, which resulted in CO2 actually no longer being available because CO2 is a byproduct of that manufacturing process. So that was quite ironic, by the way. And if you had traceability at the time of this supply chain, you would realize this interconnection. But there's another thing I would add, I think, and it's on sustainability. Many companies actually claim to be sustainable. But without traceability, there is no evidence they are. So traceability is a necessary but not uh, sufficient, of course, condition, a condition to be to be uh, uh, sustainable. So, for instance, if I say, okay, I am sustainable because I cycle to work every day, let's say that's what I'm saying. I could lie or I could forget to mention that I cycle to work only when it's sunny. So I can post pictures of me with a bike on social media, which is what companies do, but that still doesn't guarantee anything. 
Now, if I decided to record on an app every day when I cycle to the office, this is very close from actually disclosing my my efforts of being sustainable. So you've got actual traceability. So I think that's the minimum we need to ask companies to take the steps to voluntarily track the products across supply chain. That's a really, yeah, really interesting example. I'm quite impressed as well how you got from ice cream to uh, to cycling your bike. That's quite... Uh... Just my personal passions, really. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them integrated. Richard? I, I, I mean, I, I think that's a great example from Francois. And I mean, I think even beyond the corporate, I think you can move it on to the investor and say, do you really care about what this company does? Is it just an investment that you're looking for a very a quick bang on the stock market? Or you're actually interested in what the business is doing? If you are, you need to understand about its supply chain because otherwise you, you don't really fully understand the business that you're, you're putting your money into. So I think um, it, it, entirely to your point, sustainable, if you're an investor who's interested in sustainability, you need to be thinking about traceability for the companies you're putting your money to work with. And actually, that's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because, I mean, you know, if, if you're thinking from a very simple sort of purist financial analysis perspective, if you, you know, put sustainability to one side for a moment, what, what you've actually flagged there, Richard, is the fact that if you really want to understand the business and its, its economic dynamics, you need to understand its supply chain. And I think in a world where many, many businesses have effectively outsourced their sort of core manufacturing, and if you like, in many ways, what in the old days would have been considered the heart of what they do, so Boohoo doesn't actually make clothes, it has other people who make them for it, and then ship those clothes to it, and then it retails them. To really understand what we might have previously thought as an integrated textiles company, we, 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 need, to, we need to look down that supply chain and effectively sort of reintegrate it. Is that a fair... Is that a fair analysis? I think that's very fair. I mean, I think you, you pick up a good point in the textile sector that these days, the brands that we know that we go and shop in on the high street don't tend to actually be backwards integrated down the supply chain. They're dealing with a, a, a an absolute web of companies that are supplying the garments, the fabric to, into those garment manufacturers, the fibres into those um, fabric manufacturers, and it, all the way back to the raw materials. There's multiple tiers of supplier that aren't owned by Boohoo. So to to understand the risk and and as an investor, you really need to know more about what's happening under the hood. It's not so simple as the clothes just appear and you sell them. You you do need to think about what could happen. What could things like uh, I guess the was it Evergrande when the boat got stuck in the um, Suez Canal? Well, if you knew where the manufacturing footprint of of your clothes is, maybe if it's all in the Far East, suddenly you would be thinking, okay, maybe they're going to have stock issues. Um, and therefore you would be pricing that into the way you think about investment. Whereas if you knew that they sourced everything out of Europe, you think, well, this is largely irrelevant, and actually this could be a share gain opportunity if others have a problem. And so only with that deeper analysis could you actually make that sort of judgment and put that into the uh, the sort of pricing that you're you're thinking about. I mean, I guess you'd, you'd Francois mentioned a similar example with the CO2 thing with, in the pandemic, that um, that was just completely out seemed to come out of left field but it's only with that deeper understanding of how different industries even work together that you can start to see these risks these weaknesses to business models and my sense is that in you know some investors really do understand and do dig but perhaps um, a, a lot don't i mean francois in your conversations is that is that a fair sort of uh, summary of where investors are i mean how well do they actually um, understand their investee companies' supply chains and their sort of risk exposure, as Richard was outlining? Well, I think you need to split between investors and investors because, of course, you know, someone that takes a, 
10-year position in a stock with 10% uh, of the company will know way more or will want to know way more for sure. But uh, here, regardless, really, it's, it's, it's quite difficult to put the blame on financial institutions, actually, because they can only know as much as what is out there. So the companies have to disclose, right? Otherwise, the other alternative would be to make estimates. But that can be... Of course, a little bit random if you want. So if the companies don't disclose who are the clients, who are the suppliers, uh, which is the same effectively, depending on how you look at it, then then it doesn't work. I was reminded of that lately because of an example that I thought would be easy, which is uh, tuna in the Seychelles. Actually, um, there's a massive um, processing plant that belongs to a company called Thai Union, in the Seychelles, and it's very easy to, 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 to check what they're doing, where they catch the tuna, and, and, and then trying to, to find out what happens to the tuna later on. So who are the clients? Where does that tuna go? Very, very, very difficult. And, and that's just me spending some extra time on top of you know, what I'm supposed to do already to, to try to find that out. I'm not sure this is the level of dedication that is there in the financial institution. So I think it's... Uh, it's a combination of both, but without companies disclosing more, I mean, we will struggle. Yeah, and I mean, in the textile sector, it's similar that there's not great disclosure. And But I think a lot of it is that even the corporates don't know. It's not that they're not telling investors. They they really don't know. Uh, I mean, there's, a, there's an ongoing survey done by Fashion Revolution where they look at 250 of the, the biggest sort of retail brands out there to see what um, level of... Um, supplier mapping they make available and as of 2021 about half reported their tier one suppliers so that would be the people supplying the finished garment into the brand ready for retail about a third were reporting tier two so that would be someone making the fabric that went into the garment manufacturer and only about 10 percent went as far down as the raw materials so a really small percentage actually have full visibility um, of their supply chains and therefore it's not. It's it's incredibly difficult for an investor to do more than that. They you're asking them to be able to almost look inside a company, look at the contracts that they don't have access to, and somehow trace that back across this web of of international players. Um, it is a very difficult space to get clarity in at the moment. Which is a, a creative thing if you think about it. So that means company just buy products from another one. And that product was bought or purchased or manufactured or processed, whatever, by another company. There should be some paper trail available. There should be some record keeping that could be done. And so if you're saying a company doesn't know, that means they didn't do that basic part of the job, really, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. It's quite shocking, isn't it? I mean, as as you said just then, Richard, 10% of companies sort of have deep visibility over their supply chain. So the other 90%, going back to Francois's point, they actually don't know what's going on. So they can't really assess the risks uh, that, are, that are potentially bubbling up in their supply chains. And from an investor perspective, I mean, you know, yeah, absolutely, absolutely no hope because presumably a lot of companies, even if they do know a bit, they're disclosing even less. I mean, is that one of the core challenges that investors face at the moment, just this, this lack of information around supply chains? I think, yeah, you've got the traceability element. So do the companies actually know what's happening? And then you have the transparency question. Are they transparent with what they might know internally? 
So you can kind of have investors um, pushing on both metrics, I guess, in the sense that they could ask that the company does better on traceability because they want to be reassured that management internally know what's happening and therefore um, are spotting problems that might be developing down the track. And then once that's in place or alongside it, you could say, okay, we want transparency. We want to be able to know as investors because we trust management, but do we trust management with all of our money all the time? So I, I think you can think about it along those those two lines. But the challenge, of course, is always around um, cost and confidentiality. And so as a corporate, do you really want to be revealing all your suppliers? Because other people may look at that and think, okay, well, I, you know, what, what does that allow me to do commercially that might give me an advantage? Uh, and it, then I'm sure there were, and we know there has been in the past from our own work, a lot of pushback around how much does it actually cost to put in a traceability system to be able to track that cotton all the way from the field to the T-shirt that ends up in your store. It's just the pushback is it's just too expensive to do. And that cost is a really sort of interesting debate, isn't it? Because I know both of you have, have done work in the oceans context and, and in the textiles context around companies implementing traceability systems for all the sort of beneficial reasons that we've we've already alluded to in terms of understanding the risks and really getting a, a clearer sense as to what's going on beyond the immediate contractual relationship with your tier one. But but is actually is it you know is it too costly for companies to do? Is that a legitimate uh, excuse or a legitimate explanation for lack of action. I think it's it's a comp- it's a very very bad excuse actually. We've been through the list of all excuses, uh, and this one is particularly bad. Um, and I spent way too much of my summer holiday trying to look at this. Actually, I've I've talked with many many providers of seafood traceability vendors. Of course, they have a vested interest in the question, but I tried to remain impartial, and hopefully, I was trying to find how much they charge, right? How much they would charge a company on their seafood traceability. It's just for seafood, right? So maybe the prices vary on other sectors, but but I'm sure it, it can't be that different. Okay, so that's your cost effectively, right? That's the biggest cost. You need to buy the software, then you need also to buy the hardware, the, any tags, any RFID devices, whatever. Without entering into the jargon, basically, you buy some software, some hardware. Maybe some people and some a little bit of training, but then what are the benefits? And we've looked at all of this, so there are many, many. Again, without entering into details, what happens is basically you have lower food recalls. The cost, sorry, of food recalls goes down um, because if there's an issue, you're basically able to find the product much much quicker and therefore uh, reduce the cost. Same for food waste, you reduce it. Um, same for staff overtime; they reduce, le- they they just spend less time actually on doing things in that should not be part of their daily job. So I think the the way you sh- you should think about it is traceability is a bit like an insurance policy, except that the premium that you pay for every month it not only covers you um, in case there's a risk in case there's an issue, sorry, but it also reduces the likelihood of that risk happening because your business is more efficient. And on top of that, the premium actually generates savings. If you want, you get an interest on, on, on your investment. So in the case of seafood, what we found out is that if the entire global supply chain that could be traceable right now became traceable, that would cost about 1% 
of seafood sales, which is not much, right? CapEx to sale ratio of 1% just dedicated on, on seafood. And the benefit would be an uplift in the global seafood profit pools of 60%. So that's huge. Yeah, was that was that sixty six zero percent? Yeah, six zero. Yes, um, and that's just assuming conservative assumptions. It could probably be more in some sectors. It would be less in others. It depends at the stage of the supply chain. So at processing, wholesaling, see the greatest benefit. A bit less so in fishing and aquaculture, which is a problem because they are the beginning of the supply chain, and without without their buy-in, well, nothing would happen. But still, at that stage, we're talking about plus. 30, 40% uplift, it's, it's still massive. And that is something that can be done. And the key is, of course, how to finance it. And this is where I think investors have a major role to play by literally engaging with companies and saying, hey, what are you doing right now on traceability? And why are you not doing more? And how are you going to finance it? And, and investors have many, many reasons to finance these things. And lastly, uh, if investors don't, Maybe governments could chip in too. One crazy thing that we found out is that in the case of seafood, the investment that is necessary to make uh, the fishery supply chain uh, traceable equals to just 6% of the subsidies that governments spend on fisheries. Many of these fishery subsidies have been uh, called illegal uh, in June by the WTO decision. So government could just reallocate a tiny part of them keeping fishers happy, keeping their voters happy, and at the same time, massively uh, improve the sustainability of, the, of the, the supply chain and the profitability. So it, it sounds like a no-brainer. It, it really does, doesn't it? Is that just an oceans thing, Richard, though? I mean, or have you discovered that applies more broadly? Uh, I, I'd say we've found something very similar in textiles. So very much to Francois's point, the Investment in a traceability system can actually be a net profit positive for companies. It can help the business be more efficient. Um, you can spot things like overordering. It can help you in terms of logistics, so making sure that all the parts of a garment arrive at the garment factory at the same time, and therefore you're not um, ending up paying maybe for air freight costs to get things there on time, or else uh, uh, or rushing things there so that you were. Um, are not sitting there waiting for the buttons because they're they're trapped on a boat somewhere else and, and so the garment's not going anywhere. So it really can make a difference. And our, our analysis suggested about 3 to 7% profit uplift potential on the back of traceability system investment, which is it's significant uh, and easily covers the cost of, of the investment needed. I think that the challenge in textiles is... Um, to that point of the dispersed nature of the tiers of um, of uh, supplier is that it's not the brands who are really going to make the uh, that money who are going to actually have to necessarily spend the money. It's going to be needed to be spent all the way down that chain. So what investors need to do is, and corporates need to recognise, is they need to take responsibility. They need to be taking their money that they're saving they're making and investing that back down the supply chain into traceability at all the different steps. And we've heard brands say, oh, well, those the guys down the chain don't want to spend the money and it's like well okay fine they may have a very tight margin at the moment this is an industry with quite tight margins for all the steps you're competing very hard on price quite often to get the contract from the brand to do the do the manufacture um you're not going to want to spend extra money on traceability but the brand can insist it could even provide financing you know we're talking about returns being positive so that, that it overall works for everyone and the other thing i'd say is if if you're insisting as a brand and your supplier keeps on saying no 
I'd really start worrying. Like, what are they hiding that you don't? They don't want you to know about because um, uh, that that's going to be a red flag for me. And, and then I think the other thing I'd say from our work looking at this in textiles is that technology has really advanced that has meant that this is more and more doable. So there was always that challenge of a bundle of cotton that is sustainably grown organic cotton looks exactly the same as a bundle of cotton from a hugely chemically uh, irrigated, unsustainable farm. And once you put them both in the gin and start playing around with them, then mix them together, who knows where that organic cotton has gone. You now can do things like using DNA to tag the organic cotton so it's traceable all the way up that supply chain. So when you get your organic cotton T-shirt to sell, you could actually take it away, test it and go, oh, this has got no organic cotton in it. Who's been taking it? Where in the supply chain has my premium cotton I'm paying for disappeared? So I, I, I think the technology is now available to make this doable in a way that maybe wasn't 10, 15 years ago. And add that on top of the fact that it actually is really a profit positive for corporates and it's a, it should be a really easy sell and a key ask for investors. We're seeing exactly the same thing in uh, in seafood, uh, same issues where, you know, 30% of the seafood that you think you eat is not actually the species you're eating, which is crazy if you think about it. Because at least with cotton, it's on your skin maybe, but there it's, you know, you eat it. But uh, I really liked what you said about uh, the brands and or the in the case of food manufacturing would be the, the branded food product. If indeed we're right and there are all these benefits attached to traceability, uh, it would not be inconceivable to think that they could subsidize their suppliers who will, you know, not drag the food maybe in accepting the, to, to invest in traceability, which could be understandable. You could go further and think that investors could actually help as well through, you know, sustainability linked bonds have been all the rage in the last two years. You could even think of traceability linked bonds where investors come and just effectively incite companies to to adopt targets uh, of traceability implementation and then reward them uh, through lower interest rate once these objectives are, are achieved across the supply chain. Um, some companies are have done that already in seafood or, or hopefully are working on it. That's a really interesting point. And, and I, I guess that's the, that's the fundamental question really is, you know, the way you have both described this, it feels like a complete no-brainer. You, you invest some money, it's going to be a cost, but we've seen the cost is relatively small, certainly uh, compared to revenues. You get a significant profit uplift, some, some places extraordinary profit uplift, and at the same time, you're you're getting a clearer visibility for supply chain. So you're understanding your risks, your business is more efficient, you're reducing fraud. And lo and behold, you can also achieve your sustainability goals by having a greater understanding of the of the carbon and sort of uh, and the environmental footprint of the production processes further up the supply chain. And then you've got that information and you can actually disclose it to the markets. So all of that sounds like, yes, why isn't everybody doing it? But clearly, everybody isn't. And is is funding part of the part of the reason? Is there something investors could be doing in terms of the structure of their investments or just the appetite? Why why is this not already happening to a much greater extent? I think it's it's not a question of funding. Uh, it's more like operational challenges. We need to avoid sounding naive. It's on a sp on an Excel spreadsheet. Everything is easy, really. Um, but when we look deeply at seafood, all seafood supply chains globally, one by one in every country, 
only 29% of them are in a such condition that actually they could be called traceability ready, i.e. there are more incentives and disincentives for that fish to be traceable. And uh, Richard briefly alluded to uh, the disincentives before. Um, for fish, about a third of the fish pro production is illegal, unreported or unregulated. That part of the production is not going to accept to be traceable by definition. But there's another part that is extremely unsustainable. These companies will also not want to be traceable because why would they? You know, they don't really have an incentive in being associated with the fish they produce, really. So that's something that needs to be worked on first before having, like, you know, globally uh, or like 100% traceable supply chain. And that's really, really key. And I think the, the other thing is traceability is a bit of a boring subject. It's very dry, right? I mean, let's be honest. So I think a key to solve it is to offer the user, so the company or someone that needs to implement traceability, the key is to offer them something they can't refuse. Some companies do that uh, with fishers through like some fancy software on a mobile phone that provides them with like, they think provides them with amazing way to manage the finance or like provide them with many, many advantages, basically. And then traceability enters through the back door. That, that's something that we need to think of as well. I mean, picking up on Francois' point about offering, adding value, I think you see that very much in the textile sector where the corporates who have made most activity on this tend to be the luxury names. And so there, there's a couple of obvious reasons why that's likely to be the case. They have the most money, they're making the fattest profit margins, but also they have a very, very strong brand and limited volumes that they really want to be able to say to their consumer, we've got a green halo, we have a fully transparent um, or, or traceable supply chain for this cotton dress that you're buying because the consumer is willing to pay a little bit more for that. If you look at some of the fast fashion names, but by no means all, some are doing more than others. But there, the pressure is really incredibly tight margins, fast turnaround. There, it's a much harder sell. What's the value add of putting the traceability system in? Now, we, we've talked about profit uplift. We talked about you know running your business more efficiently. But it's still, it's that challenge for a management team. You're focused on the stock price. You're focused on providing, as a, a fast fashion retailer, hundreds of different items every month to, to the market. That's your key concern. Putting in a traceability system, which is going to take a number of years, it's going to involve, you know, dealing with your suppliers, it's going to require operational upheaval somewhere down the supply chain. It sounds like a lot of work to me. And at the moment, your stock price is not influenced by the fact you don't have it, then frankly, you're not going to bother, you're going to focus on the things that do move it, which are your organic growth, which are your profit margins on a quarter by quarter basis. So uh, absolutely to that point, until there's a reason for corporates to th worry about it, to think about it, it's probably not going to be top of mind. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And is that reason going to come from the financial markets? I mean, is this potentially one of the places where investors can actually play a role? I think it really should be. I mean, I think I'd take it back to the, one of the things I said first off, which if you're an investor who cares about what a company's doing and has a longer term horizon, or indeed has any uh, ambition to be sustainable, you know, ESG, et cetera, et cetera, just more broadly, then you really should be pushing your investments to make sure that they're putting money to work in this area. Um, because it, it, as we've touched on in a lot of different ways, it pays for itself, but it, it's absolutely critical to sustainability. I mean, we wrote in one of our reports that traceability and sustainability are inextricably linked in the textile sector. You cannot 
claim to be a sustainable brand. You cannot claim, therefore, to be an investor into a sustainable brand if it's not traceable, because you don't know where that's coming, what's come, where it's coming from. You don't know how they're treating their workforce. You don't know about the toxins that may be being released. All of this snowballs into a world where you maybe you're saying we're sustainable, but then you're not, and then that's a terrible reputational risk to you as the investor and also to a corporate. Yeah, and just to, to add to, to the point on is it going to come from investor, I, I think something that we need to keep in mind kind of more holistically, if you want, is the way investors look at financial statements. We have to be honest, really. Some of the costs that I mentioned before, about cost reduction, what traceability would bring, etc. These costs are not visible on the, on the financial statements. Uh, no company will report, oh, we lost X millions on food recall, we lost X million on uh, food waste, we lost... Well, they should, and some are doing, but it's not going to be obvious to the, to the investor that these benefits, the benefits of traceability would translate in this cost being reduced because the current costs are not currently displayed in a transparent manner, if you want. But I'm hopeful that with investors now looking at different sources, not just looking at pure borrowing PL balance sheet cash flow, but looking at incorporating externalities if you want, that should be resolved. Hopefully. I'm hopeful. Well that's a great point to uh, to end on, Francois. A slightly optimistic um, outing, as it were. It's been really interesting. I think the key takeaway for me is that Supply chain traceability is essential if you want to be able to demonstrate your sustainability as a business. The two things go hand in hand. You cannot be a properly sustainable business unless you have traceability throughout your supply chains. But the other thing I think which is really interesting that's come out of our discussion is that there are some terrific opportunities um, for investors if they help to address some of these issues, if they're actually prepared to put money and pressure into companies to uh, engage in their supply chains and institute traceability systems, there are potential real financial rewards uh, that can be can be harvested by those financial institutions. In terms of COP27, I think the key focus for, for us at Planet Tracker is we need companies to make their supply chains fully traceable. And that means we need financial institutions to support the improvements needed and to pressure companies into making those changes, both in terms of traceability uh, and in terms of uh, the improvements required in operating practices across the supply chain. So thanks very much indeed to Richard Wilhofsky and to Francois Mosnier for your fantastic contributions today. Join me for the next episode of Planet Tracker's Inside Track, when we'll be discussing another important theme for finance at COP27, natural capital. And I'll be joined by Planet Tracker's CEO, Robin Millington. You can subscribe to Planet Tracker's Inside Track wherever you get your podcasts or by going to Planet Tracker's YouTube channel. I'm Peter Elwin. Thanks for listening.